If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. When it comes to matters of destiny, fate does not take sides. Being on the side of goodness does not mean inevitable victory. Rarely does light overcome the darkness. When two children pursued a righteous path to undo an encroaching evil, what truly came in the end was not just failure. They enabled wickedness through their self-assuredness. They opened the path to power wide open to an evil king. Indeed, fate does not take sides. And the consequences for these children's audacity would be most grim, not just for themselves, but for the entirety of a kingdom. Perhaps better that they had not at all pursued the keys to the sacred realm. Perhaps better that the keys and their keepers had remained in limbo. Perhaps better that the young one named Link had never left the forest. But that is another aspect of fate isn't it? Those who walk under the sun do not get to choose what destiny's calling will be. It may seem cruel, but in truth, it's just neutral. When Link drew up the Master Sword, he was deemed too young to be the hero of time. He could not contend with the power of Ganondorf. The Princess Zelda, who was as much a part of this ploy as the courageous boy, could not contend with the Gerudo King either. The balance was not true. It was not the time for this confrontation to take place. So for seven years, Link was locked away within the Sacred Realm in slumber, whilst Hyrule suffered through the invasion and cruelty of the Gerudo King. Hyrule Castle and the city were eventually destroyed. The neighboring provinces were thrown into upheaval. It's impossible to say just how many were killed, but Hyrule became a land of sorrowful mourning in this new reality. Upon his wakening, the Sage of Light Rauru explains to Link what has happened and how seven years of his life have been forfeit. Link's opinion are not asked for, nor are his feelings on what has happened to him. In one blink of an eye, he was a child, and in the next, a young man. And while everything has changed, nothing has changed for Link. He has a world to save, an evil to combat, and no time to waste. There is still yet hope to contain the corruption that has spread through Hyrule. Awakening seven sages and bringing them together in the chamber of sages within the sacred realm will seal away the wickedness plaguing Hyrule. But it is up to Link to find them, to awaken them, to fight for and with them. Raru is one of the sages. There are five more that Link must find, and then the final one will reveal itself with time. With no other direction to give, Link is expelled from the sacred realm back into the real world. But someone is waiting for him. Someone who's been waiting and surviving for seven long years. A familiar name to us, under guise to Link as a Sheikah male who we will know as Sheik. Raised and trained by Impa, Sheik will offer Link his insights and act as a guide. Instructed by legends of the Sheikah, Sheik too knows of what Link must do, the sages he must find and awaken, and furthermore, where to find them. Link must return home, back to the Kokiri Forest, Within the lost woods of the forest is a temple and a sage waiting to be awakened. A girl that he is certain to know, who cannot hear the call of the sages because of the overwhelming and all-consuming evil in the world. He is directed towards Kakariko Village. Not a moment to waste. He has no choice. Off with him. The world has become dark and barren. Just a short while ago, he saw Hyrule through the eyes of a child. A land of bright azure skies and lush greenery, but this is a cruel world he now faces in a foreign body. 
Long gone are the inhabitants of the city, replaced by ghoulish re-dead. And one must wonder, how many made it out? Where did they scatter to? Will he find them in his journey? As was demanded of him, Link escapes the broken city into the fields of Hyrule. The prophetic dark clouds in the sky fade as he gets farther from the epicenter of the madness. It is truly a wonder to find. The Kakariko village is, for the most part, safe and sound. And there are some familiar faces here, survivors from the city that made it to the village. They couldn't possibly recognize Link from his boyhood. He was just a brief moment in time to some of these people. They couldn't possibly have even known his name, but they're familiar to him. It's almost like yesterday that he saw these people. Somewhere in the village is the answer to how Link will reach the forest temple, but what that could be is still a mystery. Touring around Kakariko, Link learns that a number of refugees fled here and are being housed by the original townsfolk. When Ganondorf took power and the city was overrun, those who lived in Kakariko opened their homes to all who found their way there. They worked together to build new lives and found a new sense of normalcy. But a tool that would get him into the forest temple, well, it's not immediately apparent what that could be. Within the graveyard, in the gravekeeper's old shack, Link finds a diary. It seems that Dampe passed away in the past seven years, but he managed to leave a ghostly message behind, beckoning whoever found his diary to enter his grave so that he could gift them something. In actuality, that really cool guy Dampe longed for a race, or more accurately, a competitor who could just keep up with them. Beneath the graveyard, he leads Link on a chase, requiring that he just keeps up and makes it to the end. The reward for this is a tool called the Hookshot. It will allow Link to pull himself to anywhere that the hook will stick. So this must be what Sheik meant. It's time to depart from Kakariko, but before heading for the forest, Link can't help but spot Lon Lon Ranch off in the distance. How have Malin and Talon fared in the past seven years? How is that ranch doing? The answer, sadly, is not good. After Ganondorf came to power, the farmhand named Ingo petitioned to have the farm turned over to him. The owner, Talon, was lazy and lacked the ambition to bring Lon Lon into its full potential. So Ganondorf saw the ranch signed over to Ingo, who then proceeded to kick Talon out and force the girl Malin into backbreaking work. If she disobeyed orders, Ingo abused the horses to punish her. The now young woman stands in the field at night, singing the same song from seven years ago, remembering how the horse Epona loved that melody. There's no time to dally about for now, though the plight of the ranch will remain with Link as he goes. For now, though, it's off to the forest to search out an old friend and awaken a sage. The childlike Kokiri have been driven into hiding within their homes by monsters lurking about. With no guardian spirit to protect the border, the minions of the evil king flooded the forest during Link's slumber. But there's not much that he can do to help the Kokiri, at least not immediately. The source of the danger must be searched out. There is one Kokiri out and about, though. Of course, guarding a pathway, it's the bully Mido. But it is strikingly brave of him to be out in the open this way. He refuses to let Link past, as though he could actually stop him, but Link doesn't force his way through. Rather, he plays for him Saria's song. She taught that song to her friends, and he's guarding the way forward for Saria, so this man must somehow know her. Mido decides to trust him and steps aside, allowing Link to freely access the sacred forest meadow. And then that old courtyard beneath the broken steps of the temple. Seven years ago, Saria said that she knew this place would be of importance to them, though she didn't quite know how. The memory of it is bitterly fresh to the hero. Few remember him. No one recognizes him. It's a cruelty that has been inflicted upon him. 
Sheik greets him here to console and steady him to aid Link as best as he can. Sheik teaches him the minuet of the forest so that he may freely return to this spot if the need arises. After their brief reunion, Sheik leaves Link with a reassurance that they will see each other again. An unknown evil resides here now, but the path to it is being kept by four Poes that scatter to the corners of the temple. Dungeon delving is far more difficult now, making his childhood struggle against evil an almost simple thing. When finally the way beneath the temple is opened, it's after a great deal of hardship. And what lies below is an apparition, a phantom of Ganondorf that bends reality by fleeing into a series of paintings and duplicates falsities of itself, making it difficult to focus down the proper target. If that wasn't enough of a challenge, then Phantom Ganon presents a game, Lightning Baseball. Don't miss, it hurts. It's no small feat, but Link destroys the evil presence within the temple. This first triumph is overshadowed by an even greater threat. Ganondorf himself, he knows that Link is active, that he's cleared out the forest temple, and that they will one day soon come into conflict with one another. And this doesn't really seem to concern Ganondorf. He rather finds it amusing, banishing the defeated phantom to a place between worlds and letting Link awaken the forest sage. It's a brief reunion between two old friends, cordial and supportive. He's left with the parting vow that Saria will always be his friend. And that's it. It will take time, but hope for a bright future has returned to the forest in the form of a Deku sprout. It will grow into a great tree, and one day it will act as the new protector of the Kokiri in place of the long-deceased great Deku tree. It is able to tell Link the truth of how he came to be in the forest, the war that his mother fled from, her wild flight into the forest to save him when he was a baby, that he is of Hylian blood. It is perhaps the most insight that anyone has provided the young man thus far, the most time a being has given to helping him quantify what has been taking place in his life. But it changes nothing about his mission. The Kokiri Forest has been returned to normal, but not for Link. There are four more sages to find and awaken, best to get a move on. With no clear direction forward, and out of a strange sense of longing for what was lost, Link returns to the Temple of Time. Quite unexpectedly, Sheik is there, waiting for him, perhaps already aware of the hero's internal struggle. Should his longing for years long past become too great, or should the need arise, Link may plunge the Master Sword back into the Stone of Time and return to his proper timeline seven years in the past. And to make the process easier, Sheik teaches Link a song that will whisk him back to the Temple of Time whenever played. But that small comfort aside, Back out in the fields of Hyrule, Navi draws her partner's attention towards Death Mountain. There's a giant red cloud over it. It's worth investigating. It's time to return to the home of the Gorons. Seven years ago, they faced starvation, and now the halls of the Goron City are just barren. There's a little guy rolling about one of the levels, but otherwise it's pretty quiet here. Little roly-poly buddy doesn't seem keen on stopping his tumbling fun, so logic would of course dictate that he would best be stopped via a bomb to the back of the skull. And it works! A direct hit stops the little Goron in his tracks. He assumes Link to be one of Ganondorf's evil minions after the blast, and proclaims himself to be Link, hero of the Gorons. But a proper introduction sets things straight. 
seems this little guy is the son of Darunia and is the namesake of the fabled Dodongo Buster. It's a true pleasure to make the hero's acquaintance, and he quickly opens up about what has been happening on the mountain. Ganondorf awoke a dragon within the mountain some time ago and fed to it Gorons as a display of cruel power to any who would oppose him. Many of the surviving Gorons are being kept captive within the Fire Temple, housing the dragon called Volvagia. Darunia went to the temple in a last-ditch attempt to stop Volvagia, but he never came back. And now Little Link is all on his own, uncertain of what to do, with only the Hero of Time to help him. But little buddy, that's more than enough. The hero will delve into the Fire Temple, stop Volvagia, and rescue any Gorons still alive. The young Goron gifts to Link a special heat-resistant tunic to help him in this endeavor. He will need it to survive the extreme temperatures of the mountain. A secret passage within Darunia's old chamber will get him into the Death Mountain Crater, where, as though on cue, Sheik once again appears. Darunia and Link shared a special bond, one of friendship and brotherhood, built out of trust and gratitude so long ago. The sort of friendship that doesn't simply fade away after a few years. To aid Link in the struggle to come, Sheik teaches him the Bolero of Fire, so that he may come and go from the temple as needed. With his role in this task completed, Sheik must once again depart, though this time, Link tries to take a step towards him. However, this will not be allowed. The two cannot share words. There is work to be done. Darunia himself is not far into the temple. He stands at the door to where Volvagia is still locked away, though who knows how much longer the temple will be able to contain it. Darunia recognizes Link on the spot. Even after all these years, he knows that face. And sorrowful as it may be, there will be no heartwarming reunion for the two. Darunia is going into the dragon's chamber in a final attempt to stop the beast, and he asks Link to venture into the temple to find and save the imprisoned Gorons that he could not save. He is their last hope for survival, and then Darunia is gone. There truly are many souls to be saved here, some in plain sight, others well hidden away. Each one expresses utmost gratitude to Link upon salvation, and provide what insights they can to help him on his way through the sprawling temple. Darunia made mention of a weapon that he did not possess, a great hammer from legend that was once upon a time used to slay the dragon. He didn't have time to search it out before facing Volvagia, but Link does find it high within the mountain and takes it along. Should Darunia fail in his endeavor to stop the dragon, the hammer will be necessary in stopping it. Oh, Darunia, what became of him? How did he fare against Volvagia? After freeing the many Gorons here and making his way to the chambers of the dragon, Link gets the answer. Darunia is nowhere to be seen, and Volvagia rampages on. The mighty Goron leader failed, and now it falls to Link to end this threat. It's a practice of careful aim as the dragon takes to the air and then thrashes through the platform to rear its ugly head in violence. But Darunia bought time for Link to come into this fully equipped and prepared for it. The hammer is a visceral counter against Volvagia. The rampage and threat of the dragon is ended. Never again will it bring terror upon the mountain inhabitants or threaten Hyrule. To mark the finality of it, Death Mountain erupts and the skies clear. Things are starting to look a bit more familiar now. Darunia does not have long to spend with his old friend and brother, as he's now awakened as a sage. He's proud of the man that Link has become, and like Saria before him, he lends his power to the coming fight. Link now possesses the Fire Medallion, and once again, it's time to go. 
Before night falls, Link wanders back to Lon Lon Ranch. The plight of Malin and Epona still hangs over him. A different scene plays out now. Mr. Ingo, as he goes by, mans the farm during operating hours and charges visitors for horse rides, though visitors are exceedingly rare these days. Ingo has been trying to tame the horse Epona as a gift to Ganondorf, but she's been exceedingly uncooperative towards the ill-tempered man, rightfully so, he's an ass. Link ponies up the 10 rupee fee to enter the horse enclosure and pick a ride, and just as expected, Epona's song brings the steed running and the two share a romp about the field. Noticing that Link is quite the natural, Ingo challenges him to a race with a modest wager. It's only 50 rupees, nothing to sneeze at, but not a huge amount of currency. Ingo may have expected it to be an easy extra 50 in his pocket, but Link and Epona royally whip him in round one. And rather than concede defeat and cough up the cash, Ingo decides to have a tantrum and ups the stakes. Another race, and this time, if Link wins, well, he can keep the horse. And my, 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 guess what happens? Link and Epona once again destroy Ingo in the race. Sounds like Link just rescued himself a horse. And sure, Ingo will honor the bet, but he locks them in. The two will never be allowed to leave the ranch. It takes some checking of the fences and the accidental enragement of a group of chickens to provide some extra motivation, but the duo manage to make their escape, jumping the walls of Lon Lon Ranch. Epona is now free, and Link has a companion to help him cover the landscape of the kingdom. It comes just in time, too, as Epona will help Link jump the barriers, keeping people out of Lake Hylia. Sheik had mentioned having to travel beneath the waters to reach one of the sages. Lake Hylia is a notable body of water, so it stands to reason that this would be a good place to search for another temple. What he finds here is the lake is drying out, and the shortcut to the Zora's domain is frozen. Frozen solid? What happened here? No further progress can be made, though it was strikingly insightful as to something with the Zora people being amiss. It's time to take another journey back to a familiar place from long ago. Initially, upon traveling up the river, things didn't seem terribly troubled. It's all business as usual, at least until he gets closer to the waterfall entrance of the Zora domain, and snow starts to fall. Uh-oh. A terrible confirmation comes when the path forward is opened. The Zoro's domain is frozen solid. There's no movement within, only the sounds of ice echo through the halls. Even the king is in an ice block. The same goes for the area that Lord Jabu Jabu once resided in. The patron deity is long gone. All that's there now is a cavern. Exploring inside, Link comes across unnatural blue fire that can melt certain ice deposits and a pair of boots lined in heavy iron that can sink him to the bottom of deep water. And, well, look at who it is again. Old buddy Sheik here to give insight on what has taken place. All the Zora are frozen solid within the domain. The only one who made it out was Princess Rudo, thanks to Sheik. And as soon as she was able, she took off for the water temple, apparently within Lake Hylia. There, he will find the source of the Zora's troubles, so it's up to him to deal with it. Sheik will teach him the Serenade of Water, so that he might more easily travel to Lake Hylia. And with this task complete, and to Link's obvious protest, Sheik once again vanishes. Before leaving, though, Link takes a bottle of that blue flame with him. If memory serves, then the Zora King was encased in a thin sheet of ice. It's worth seeing if he can be melted out. And wouldn't you know, it worked, and the king isn't dead. To celebrate this non-death, the king gifts to Link a special tunic that will allow him to draw breath underwater. 
With this final piece of gear acquired, and with a focused mission in mind, it's time for Link to sink into the depths of the Water Temple. This place is tiered, confusing, flooded with danger, and difficult to traverse. The trial seemingly one of patience. Sheik was not mistaken about Princess Ruto's location, and she too recognizes Link on the spot. Her... fiancé. Oof, bud. Oof. And she's a bit salty over Link not being around for the last seven years. Thankfully, <clears throat> now's not the time for this. She explains some of the functionality of the temple's water pump system, and beckons Link to follow her up to a control point for the water level but she strangely vanishes before Link can reach the surface of the water. She's just nowhere to be seen, and there aren't many places that she could have gone to. Left to make his way forward alone, the hero of time's stamina and fortitude is truly put to the test here. Not just from environmental hazards and difficult mapping, but there are exceedingly challenging enemies deep into the temple that threaten his progress should he be unprepared. But the root of evil here is a mindless thrashing amoeba called Morpha. It is what has been draining the lake and causing havoc at the Zora's domain. While it looks like a slow, easy target to hit, the brain-like core of Morpha is its weak point and must be pulled out of its water shell to truly damage it. It does manage to capture Link during the battle, choking him out, throwing him about the room. It's a wonder that it doesn't break every bone in his body when it gets its grips on Link. Battered and bloodied, he does manage to come out the victor in this fight. Link almost didn't make it through this one, though. The dangers of these places, they're becoming greater. Water will return to the lake, though. And while not immediate, Zora's domain can now begin to thaw. And Princess Ruto can now awaken as a sage. Within the Chamber of Sages, the two have a brief moment. Regardless of Link's opinion, Ruto continues to claim him as her future husband a childhood assumption she refuses to let go of, though she can acknowledge that perhaps love is not something that she should be offering right now. Instead, she gives the hero the water medallion. And when the time is right, Ruto will join the fight against Ganondorf. Back outside, overlooking the lake, Sheik is breathing a sigh of relief. Things are going back to normal, and it is such a welcome sight. So too is the sight of Link returning from the Chamber of Sages. There's no songs to teach or guiding words to give. It's just a brief moment of calm for the two to share. But it can only last for a moment. There's work to be done, and distance must be kept between the two. Secrets cannot be shared. Navi advises Link to look for someone who might know more about the other sages, but Sheik just departed, and there aren't a lot of people in the kingdom that could provide that sort of insight. Perhaps Sheik went back to the Temple of Time. Would Sheik visit Lon Lon Ranch? Could he have gone into the city? The first stop will be Kakariko Village, if not to find Ashika, then to just see how things are going. And once the gates were in sight, so too were the fires. The village was going up like tinder, and not a soul was in sight, save one. Standing before the well, Sheik. Did he do this? Why was he just standing there? Link's approach is met with a command to get back. Because while it's not immediately apparent, Something is coming out of that well. The naked eye can't just see what it is. It picks up Sheik and tosses him around in the air like he's a rag doll, depositing him squarely on his head nearby. Something more tangible crawls its way up the houses and hills of the village, racing like it's trying to gain speed. And then it rushes Link. And the world goes black.
A storm has quelled the flames about the village when Link comes to. Sheik is kneeling beside him, making sure that he regains consciousness fully. As soon as the hero is up, Sheik wastes no time in telling him precisely what's taken place. Gone is his poetic and vague manner of speech. He is very to the point, almost frantic in the explanation. A great evil, sealed within the well, has broken loose, and the Sheikah woman Impa has gone to rebuild the seal. He outright tells Link that Impa is a sage, and she is in dire danger. She will need assistance, and all he can do to aid Link is teach him a melody which will whisk him away to the temple entrance. The Nocturne of Shadow. Sheik will take care of the village. The rest is up to him. Something here is not quite right. He's able to enter the temple, yes, but this does not seem a holy or spiritual site of any sort. In ages past, the Sheikah brought enemies of the royal family here to be tortured. Remnants of those days still remain, but there's more than that dark past that is amiss. There are false walls and massive gaps in the floor. A warning is posted stating, the shadow will yield only to the one with the Eye of Truth, handed down in Kakariko Village. But Eye of Truth, that's certainly a new one. Navi says that perhaps the bottom of the well would be a good place to search. It's where the evil escaped from. It's in the village. They've never been there before. It's an excellent place to start. But there's just one problem. The way in has been completely collapsed and sealed. And this is a predicament to say the least. But it does stand to reason that perhaps in the past the passage was still open. What if Link searched beneath the well as a kid? The well was full of water though and didn't one of the elder refugees within the village mention that a house once stood where the well is now? Something about a fellow who lived there that could see the truth? What sort of weird stuff was going on in that house? Kakariko Village isn't nearly as wholesome as originally thought. But focus. How to handle the water in the well. Before going back to the Temple of Time, Link decides to take a look around the well, see if he can find a control mechanism for it. And while he doesn't find anything like that, there is someone in a nearby windmill, having a conniption. Something about seven years ago, an ocarina kid played a song that messed up the windmill, but Link didn't mess up the windmill seven years ago. What is he talking about? The enraged man teaches Link the song of storms. The melody played here seven years in the past that did something within the building. Sure would be a shame if an ocarina kid showed up and played it, wouldn't it? But still, did Link do something to the windmill? Is he about to do something to the windmill? How does the flow of time even work? What is the difference between a panini and a calzone? Well, there's only one way to find out. And this is as good an idea as any, so it's time to return to that child form he left behind and cause some property damage. Okay, so this kind of seems like a mean thing to do, but apparently, according to destiny, this has to happen. So, young Link goes to Kakariko, goes into the windmill, and plays the Song of Storms. And the windmill begins to wildly turn in the sudden storm, going far faster than intended to, draining the water supply of Kakariko Village. Hopefully they have a contingency plan here for water sources, but Link isn't a city planner, he's a hero, and a hero's got a hero. Previous suspicions are proved to be correct. The path within the well is still open, and Link is just small enough to be able to fit through the entrance. Perfect. And this place is also clearly taboo, a place with a dark past that was meant to stay hidden away. There are torture racks, 
bone piles, old blood smears, and vile monstrosities scattered about the dungeon. Truly better that all the horrors contained down here stay down here, hidden deep within the complex and under guard of an amalgamation called the Dead Hand is the treasure that Link seeks, the Lens of Truth. So much grief to get an item so small, but it will allow him to see through the hidden walls and the floors of the Shadow Temple, and to bring out of the shadows any beast that would otherwise be invisible to the naked eye. One terror passed, now another to face. He must return to his adult form and conquer the proper dungeon, hidden away in the graveyard of Kakariko. What is contained within the Shadow Temple can never be allowed to escape. They're undead, rotting, violent things. The false walls and twisting corridors were probably once quite effective at keeping victims in and curious eyes out. But the depths of the temple are not accessible without something to help Link get over a massive gap, another safety measure of the temple, no doubt. He finds a most interesting set of boots under guard of another dead hand. They'll allow him brief time to hover in the air, making previously impassable gaps passable. The mechanisms used against prisoners here were torturous. It is obstacle after obstacle to ensure that those being subjected to Shika interrogation and torment did not make it out with their lives. Even if someone could get over the gaps in the floor leading to the exit, getting past swinging blades, laser beams, locked doors, and strange puzzles made escape an impossibility. Those unfortunate enough to be captured and brought here faced inevitable death. No chance at freedom or mercy. The evil that Impa was trying to contain is still here. It's not quite fully broken free yet. The body of the beast is still trapped. And the solution to ensure that it does not break out is to kill it. The freakish thing called Bongo Bongo beats its drum and fades between shadow and the light. Momentary hovering will keep it from throwing Link into the air, and the Eye of Truth will make its body visible once he's able to stop its beating hands. The questions of where this thing came from, how it was created, what purpose did it serve, how did the Shiga capture it, are all taunting ones that will never have an answer yet tease the brain into possibility. The destruction of the Phantom Shadow Beast is the freedom of the Sage Impa. With it finally dead, the immediate danger against her is gone, and she can ascend to fulfill her own destiny. Impa's life has been dedicated to the royal family, to raising Zelda, and then training Sheik. Such a pivotal, important woman who's dedicated her entire being to walking in the shadows so that others might savor the light. She promises Link that the princess is safe, they soon will meet, and that she will explain everything to him when that time comes. The role the sages must play in the battle to come is crystal clear, but until then, she will lend Link whatever strength that she can and gives him the Shadow Medallion. One more sage must be awoken. The final, untouched corner of the kingdom is all that remains. The home of the Gerudo. The birthplace of Ganondorf. The all-female tribe of desert-dwelling fighters have a well-established base of operation and are exceedingly dangerous. They're not welcoming to outsiders, especially men. The old carpenter group from Kakariko Village seven years prior is here, or at least was here. The leader of the group wants to repair the bridge leading in and out of the area, but it would seem that all of his workers ditched their jobs to go join the Gerudos. Not very smart. 
The area has to be investigated for leads as to a temple of some sort here, so whilst sneaking about the sprawling Gerudo Fortress, Link tracks down and frees all of these idiots, who, no surprise, were promptly caught and imprisoned by the Gerudo as soon as they trespassed on their land. They're quite lucky that their executions weren't immediate. They're equally as lucky that Link can hold his own in a fight against Gerudo warriors. He does manage to free them all, sending them back to their boss at the entrance of the valley, and in the process, manages to impress the current overseer of the fortress, who's been watching this whole event unfold from afar. While she's not the leader of the Gerudo, she does have the authority to offer Link membership to the tribe. He proved himself to not be useless, in fact, he's quite a capable combatant, and that's valued amongst these women. So, Link may have full access to Gerudo lands and access to the desert beyond. The current leader of the Gerudo is named Naburu. She's second in command to Ganondorf. Should Link wish to find her, he'll need to cross the desert and find her within their spirit temple. That's a big bingo. Link is on the right track. Crossing the desert will take special equipment, but it just so happens that Link has everything he'll need already. A way to cross the river of flowing sand, the hookshot, and a way to see and follow a ghostly guide through the sandstorm that obfuscates the way forward the Eye of Truth. With these two trials passed, it's time to see what this spirit temple holds. One final time, Sheik greets Link before this new temple. Now more calm than the previous meeting, he tells Link that this situation is akinly unique to his previous challenge. He must tread this place as a child to unlock his path forward as an adult, though the Gerudo would never allow a child on their land, let alone into the desert near their temple. So Sheik teaches Link a melody called the Requiem of Spirit, so that he can fly here with ease and circumvent the Gerudo threat. And with that, one last time, Sheik departs, relying on the Hero of Time to reach the finale on his own. Back in his old childish boots, it's on to another adventure, hopefully this one involving fewer walking corpses. Quite close to the entrance of the temple is the Gerudo leader called Naburu. She's kneeling over a little passage in the hallway and is a bit shocked to see a kid in the temple. But she doesn't overreact or remove him, rather she has some friendly banter, a casual introduction, and she badmouths Ganondorf for the honorless fiend that he is. She is the leader of the Gerudo in his absence, but that doesn't mean she respects him. In fact, she has quite a bit of disdain towards the Gerudo king. Rounding out their conversation, Nibiru asks Link if he would do her a solid chunky favor and crawl through that little hole in the wall in order to fetch a treasure for her that's on the other side. Silver gauntlets that allow the wearer to lift extremely heavy things. The only issue is that Ganondorf lets his minions and monsters use the temple as a hangout, so it's not going to be a kickwalk to find said treasure. But if he does as she says, then she'll be able to get into deeper parts of the temple and steal away any more loot she can find and foil the plans of Ganondorf's lackeys. Nabooru has sent Link into a death trap. This is no place to nonchalantly send someone, let alone somebody so young. If he was anything less than the capable swordsman that he is, it would be certain doom she would be sending him into. There's an iron knuckle here and those things hit hard. But the young hero of time manages to best this wing of the temple, climb to the top and find that prize, the silver gauntlets. But the cries of Nibiru cut through the night. Someone has the young woman in their grasp, she cannot free herself, and from this height, Link can barely make out what is taking place. 
Two old women are circling about their prey as she fights to free herself from a portal beneath her, but she cannot do it. And in her final scream, she orders Link to flee. The two old witches depart, leaving Link in peace. Naburu is just gone. Nothing more can be done for her, at least not now. Still in possession of the silver gauntlets, the young Link races back to the Temple of Time and throws himself into the future. He must investigate the entirety of the Spirit Temple now, and perhaps uncover what happened to the woman Naburu. Climbing the Spirit Temple via a different path is just as dangerous for Link as an adult as it was when he was a child. The temple seems to have been completely untouched through the passing years. In newly accessible areas, he finds a new powerful tool, a mirror shield that will allow him to reflect light in certain attacks, precisely what he'll need to open several paths before him. After a seeming eternity of trial by combat, Link finally gets an answer as to what happened to Naburu and just what is inside the Iron Knuckles. The two witches, Kome and Kotake, sick on to Link one of them, a hulking frame of shining armor, expecting the brute to make quick work of him. But it's a long fight of timed attacks and distanced offense. When the armor is slowly destroyed and the Iron Knuckle defeated, what's revealed to be inside is Naburu. And she has no idea what's been going on. The two witches are not afraid of Link, nor are they willing to let their plaything go. Naburu is not leaving here. Those two hags are certainly the head figures of this place. They're directly associated with Ganondorf himself, and they've taken a woman captive. They gotta be stopped, and they gotta be stopped now. The twin sisters are opposing aspects of magic, fire, and frost. Turning the power of one against the other opens them up to visceral melee attacks when timed properly. But rather than concede defeat, or for one to watch the other fall, when things become too much to handle separately, the sisters join together to form one body and a hard-to-predict attack pattern. But the same general rule still applies. Turn the power of one against the body, which requires patience and timing to grab enough of one sister's attack to turn it back on them for maximum punishment. They are nasty, nasty pieces of work. Hyrule will be safer with their departure. It does come eventually. The witches are soundly beaten, and they harp at one another incessantly as the realization of their death starts to settle in. Good riddance. Don't come back. And isn't it funny how fate works? All of this truly was part of a greater plan. Nibiru is the final sage to be awakened. Who would have thought? Even she is a bit surprised. She spent so long brainwashed and in service to Ganondorf. But destiny is neutral. Such things don't matter. Nibiru will aid Link and Hyrule in the fight to come and lends him her power in the form of the Spirit Medallion. With all the sages awakened, Raru has deemed it time for the final confrontation, but there is the matter of the final sage presenting themselves. First, there's one that Link must seek out. They're waiting for him. It's time to return to the Temple of Time. Seven years of waiting for this moment to arrive. When the sages would be awakened, when the hero would take his rightful place, when the light could return to Hyrule. It's been a long road, so of course it should be Sheik that greets Link at the Temple of Time to remember their journey for a moment and to share greater insight into the nature of the Triforce. When Ganondorf entered the Sacred Realm seven years ago, his evil heart was not balanced in power, wisdom, and courage. 
That is why the Triforce split into its three parts and bound their ways to those who were deemed worthy by destiny of wielding them. To Ganondorf went power, to Link went courage, and to the seventh sage, the leader of them all went wisdom. Finally able to come out of hiding, leaving behind the guise of Sheik forever, is the Princess Zelda. The final sage and the aspect of wisdom, Link's faithful guide this whole time, and now it's time to explain. She never could have dreamed that what happened seven years ago could have happened. The Master Sword locking Link away, Ganon invading the Sacred Realm, the Triforce splitting, the world falling to evil. When they fled the castle, it was just a matter of survival. In trying to stop Ganondorf using the Triforce, they really just opened the door to it wide open. But now was the time to set things right. The final thing he needed was an arrow of light that could cause great harm to the vile King Ganondorf. The sages are ready. Link is ready. And so is... Ganondorf. He's known that Link has been running around saving Hyrule all this time. He was well aware of it back in the Forest Temple, and he let him roam about to lure Zelda out of hiding. Now isn't it just the grandest of luck that all three aspects of the Triforce were out in the open? He doesn't need to take Link. He can stop the sages and claim the Triforce of Wisdom for himself if he has Zelda. And with two pieces of the Triforce, he would be truly unstoppable. Dealing with the aspect of courage, would be simple. So the princess is going on a little trip to his fortress, and if Link wants to save the princess like a good little hero, then he has an open invitation to swing by. Oh, that's exactly what Link will do. Hyrule Castle is long gone, replaced by a floating citadel that serves as Ganondorf's home. And of course, he would cast a challenge to Link to enter and find him, but forget to set out the welcoming bridge. The sages can see to this obstacle, creating a bridge of light that Ganondorf cannot snuff out, and within they will continue to serve a higher purpose. A number of seals are empowering a barrier that blocks the way forward, six in total. It will be up to each of the sages to pull their weight. Once Link reaches the seal, they need to bring it down. After every single one is taken out, then the ascent can begin. Higher and higher he goes, climbing the tower to reach the great evil at the top. But the coward that he is, Ganondorf put obstacle after obstacle in the way, forcing Link to fight the entire way up. Until... the organ music begins. Begins to echo down the halls. All other noise from foe and combat ceases. It's a run straight up to where Ganondorf waits. And he shows himself to be quite the eccentric, bit of a showman and wholly unconcerned. He too has been waiting seven years for this. For all his searching for the other two pieces of the Triforce, how fortuitous that they would fall right into his lap. And in Ganondorf's mind, all he has to do now is take them. Zelda and Navi are both removed from the fight. It will be a one-on-one -on -one between courage and power, neither of which are a pushover. The arena itself crumbles away as the two titans fight for keeps. Ganondorf is a showman in the fight, bringing vibrato and flair to his outrageous attacks, and he hits with a sharp bite. He genuinely is powerful, deserving of the Triforce piece that he possesses. He wields it with no apprehension and is extremely aggressive in his onslaught. The back and forth between the two goes on and on, neither willing to concede an inch to the other. It's far from easy, but it's certainly fair. 
both use everything at their disposal to get the upper hand, it's just by the skin of his teeth that Link takes the victory. But even after the marathon of a fight that just took place, it is not the end. The top of the tower falls away and Zelda is freed from her prison, making the assumption that their foe is defeated, even being so bold as to begin a speech about the weakness of him. Ganondorf may seem downed, but there's more in store for the hero, the first thing being the collapse of the tower. Oh, run, 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 little champions. Flee the keep or go down with it. Link and Zelda have very little time to make it out with their hides intact. The infrastructure of the fortress is failing, passages are being blocked off, and what beings remain within attack as they run. And if it weren't for Zelda's ability to force doors open, then Link would be trapped. But together, the two do manage to make it out just before the keep crumbles. A happy moment, sure. They survived, they won. But there's something in the rubble that stirs. Perhaps things are not as they seem. Tell me, do you suppose the one who wields the Triforce of Power could be stopped by a castle collapsing on them? He is injured, and he's enraged, but he's certainly not dead. And he's not the aspect of power for no reason. Using the strength that is rightfully his, Ganondorf changes into something greater than his current form. He becomes a lumbering beast simply called Ganon. This confrontation isn't over yet, and this time, no Master Sword. There's nowhere to hide, no escape route, resources have been drained, no sword to wield, and Ganon is motivated. The tip of Ganon's tail draws Link's eye. It glows ever so slightly. It is the only point on his body that is weak to any sort of remaining attack. Now is a practice of patience and foresight to avoid the monstrosity and target that weak point. After several shots to the tail, Ganon is weakened just enough for the barrier around the arena to briefly drop, which means Link has a direct path to the Master Sword. It will be needed to finish this, so now things are a little bit more balanced between the two. Another round of combat begins, with the two just barely holding on to life as the blows continue. Several shots to that weak point bring Ganon down once more, and this time, Zelda intervenes before he can recover. This time, he won't get up, at least not if Link acts fast. It's time to put an end to this long-fought struggle between them. Link takes swings at Ganon's face and plunges the Master Sword into his skull. A stunned moment of silence hangs in the air, followed by thrashing and screaming. Even now, Ganon is not dead. It's time for the sages to serve their purpose. Zelda calls to them, and together, the seven sages cast open the doors to the sacred realm, and there, they trap him. Ganondorf is trapped within a new prison. He's not dead, merely weakened, but trapped within the evil part of the sacred realm. He won't be a threat. At least, not for now. In his final words, he vows that one day he will get out. And when he does, he'll find the descendants of the two aspects, and he will kill them. With this journey finally complete, it's time for Zelda to undo a great wrong, or at least attempt to make some sort of amends for it. The hero does not belong in this time. So much was taken from him in the name of destiny. As a child, she was foolish to assume that they could control the sacred realm, that they could take the Triforce for themselves. It was Link and the people of Hyrule who paid the price for that folly. 
He was denied his rightful time, his youth was taken from him, and this must be rectified. She sends Link back to his childhood, seven years in the past, for the last time, at least for this particular hero. The Master Sword is plunged back into its pedestal. The door of time is sealed closed, and the child departs from the temple. He will travel to the castle, finding Zelda as she spies Ganondorf from that window. But this time, he is able to tell Zelda of what is to come. This King of the Garuda will be arrested and sentenced to death, but that is a tale for another day. But the hero, now without his purpose, is left to wander, to roam. After the Master Sword was returned to where it belonged, Navi vanished. Her role in his life was done. And for a time, Link tried to find his place, but it was never beheld. He could not go home, not back to the Kokiri Forest. He was of Hylian blood, he didn't belong. Yet the life of a Hylian was foreign to him. He didn't fit into society. And he was so lonely. Always. So lonely. But now, the quietness of the world, it was deafening. He just didn't belong here. He needed a mission, a purpose of some sort, anything to fill that void in his heart. The only thing that had never forsaken him, it was Navi. And she wouldn't have just willingly left him back at that temple, so he would search for her. That would be his journey now, find his friend, perhaps save her, bring her back to his side, and then maybe he wouldn't be so devastatingly alone. On the back of Epona, he journeyed into the forest, not knowing that soon a new great evil would descend upon him, and a new suffering world would scream to him, It's pain.